Salvation is just the first step in God's plan for our lives. If you'd like to know more about salvation, just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net and click on the Salvation tab today. I just feel real peace right now. It's always good when, you know, the Lord moves and uh, you get to be a part of that. Uh, and when that peace washes over us, I don't think we should be too quick to move out of it. You know, I think sometimes we feel guilty like we shouldn't be able to enjoy just a calm moment. You feel like that? We were talking Wednesday night about waiting. We talked about the birth of John the Baptist, which preceded the birth of Jesus, but it was not just happenstance. Like it, it set the stage, but there was a lot of waiting before that. It was 400 years from the last prophet speaking, Malachi. And it wasn't just that God was not doing anything. And I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, the toughest times are just being quiet and being at peace with the Lord. But, but there's so much going on in those quiet times. I just want to encourage you when you have the peace of the Lord, don't, don't be quick to move out of that. Enjoy what the Lord is doing to you. Because a lot of times after the peace comes the chaos. He's giving you that time to catch your breath. He's giving you that time to kind of regroup like Tammy just said. But it's not to sit there forever. We have work to do. Dad says he retired last year, but I think he's worked more in retirement than he did before retirement. That He worked quite a bit. You know, but there's work to be done. Our, our true, true retirement, our true relaxation time is not here on this earth. It's in heaven with the Lord. And until that day where God takes you on to be with him, or he comes back, which would still be the time he takes you to be with him, right? You know, we got to be about the Father's business. We got to be about the Father's business. Amen. You can give God praise. Amen. The question is, what does that look like? I think sometimes when we get into those peaceful moments and we're waiting, we start trying to make things happen instead of waiting on the Lord to find out what He wants us to do next. And we look at different examples and we see good examples. I know as a pastor, I looked at many different churches and saw different things they were doing and I loved it. And I tried to implement them here and they didn't work out. Not because they weren't great things to do, not because they weren't honoring the Lord, but that's not what the Lord had for this church. And so, you know, God tells me don't get the cart before the horse. Psalm 127 tells us that unless the Lord is in it, we're laboring in vain. Right? The Lord's got to be in it. He's got to be the one directing us. And so it's no different for this church as, uh, than it is for our individual lives. You know, I'm looking over here, I see Brother Ken. He does some amazing work with people, amazing work. I'm in awe of what God does through him and with him and Sarah. Just fantastic. But guess what? I can help out, but that's not what God has called me to do. So if I go try to duplicate what Ken is doing, I don't mean going to help him out and assist him. I mean, if I try to duplicate that, and that's not what God's called me to do, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to struggle, and I'm going to have a difficult time with that assignment. But if I wait and I will do what the Lord's asking me to do, it may still be just as much work physically, but it will be nowhere near as difficult to accomplish. 
Because I'm doing what the Lord has me doing. What does that have to do with what I'm talking about today? We've been talking about becoming passionate pursuers of God. Well, the reason we want to become passionate pursuers of God is through pursuing Him, we can then hear what the Lord has for our lives. By pursuing Him, the Bible says that if we seek Him, He will let us find Him. So as we pursue Him, He's going to let us find Him, and that's where we find out what God's called us to do. I want to talk to you today about discipleship. We've been laying out the four areas of focus here at Southside Christian Fellowship and the vision that God's given me for this church, and that vision is to become passionate pursuers of God. It's not step one, two, three, and four, but it is four areas of focus. We've talked about prayer, we've talked about missions, and we just talked about inner healing. And now I want to talk to you about discipleship. Disciples are passionate pursuers of God. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you're saying I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that means you should be passionately pursuing him. Amen? I read a story recently about Mother Teresa. I didn't know Mother Teresa, but based on what I could see and read, I would say she was definitely a passionate pursuer of God. And I read a story about a senator that went to visit her in Calcutta one time, and he wanted to see the work that she was doing, how she was ministering to the sick and the poor, and, and just wanted to get an idea of what was going on with where she was at. And it didn't, it didn't take him long after he got off that plane to realize that the need was so much greater than the resources. And it just overwhelmed him. But he saw Mother Teresa continuing to work, continuing to do things, and he asked her, he said, Mother, don't you get awfully discouraged when you see the magnitude of the poverty and realize how little you can really do. I'll tell you her response in a second, but how many times have people tried to discourage you because they can't see the vision? They can't see it. They don't know how you can just work yourself to death when they feel like you're not making a difference. You want to know what Mother Teresa said? <laughs> she said, my dear Senator, God did not call me to, to be successful. He called me to be faithful. Let me say that again. He did not call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. If you're a good red-blooded American, anybody tells you that he didn't call you to be successful, you start, you know, jerking a little bit. Because we have this idea of what success looks like. And a lot of times when we feel like we're not making a difference, it's because we're not meeting our definition of success. God's definition of success is to be faithful. So if you're being faithful then you're being successful. Amen. So Jesus was faithful. Can we agree on that? Amen. And he trained his followers to be faithful. How? Through discipleship. So that's why I say disciples are passionate pursuers of God. That's how God trains us is through discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. I would go one step further to tell you that that without Christ, I don't believe it's Christianity at all. In fact, if you remove Christ from it, it's just eanity, and that's too close to insanity, which is what I think of if you don't have Christ in your life. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So what is discipleship? It's a relationship. It's a relationship with a master teacher. Who should be our master teacher? I like that Holy Spirit. Who else? 
Jesus, God. Just so you know, any of those answers will work because they're three in one. Amen? <laughs> Amen. But that's who our master teacher is. A, a disciple follows them, adheres to their way of life because their teaching shapes their way, their worldview, right? Does Jesus, do, do Jesus' teaching shape your worldview? It better. You call yourself a Christian, then your worldview should be constructed not by the government, not by politicians, not by our neighbors, but by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That's what we're doing through discipleship is we're trying to be perfectly trained so that we look like, smell like, feel like, taste like Jesus. You know, one of the things I loved growing up uh, having happened was when somebody would call the house and as I got a little older and my voice started to change and sound a little bit more like my dad's, people would call and start talking to me as if I was my dad. It was pretty funny. I enjoyed that. And sometimes people would start talking to me and I wouldn't pick up on the fact they were actually wanting to talk to dad and their line of questioning would confuse me. And then eventually they would realize they had the wrong person. But I sounded so much like dad and still do. Right? That's what we want. We want to sound just like Jesus. In order to sound like Jesus, we got to be able to say what Jesus would say. If we don't know what Jesus would say, we've got to become better disciples. You see, the disciples began to talk just like Jesus. You know how I know that? Because after they through crucifying Jesus, eventually they stoned Philip. You know why they stoned Philip? Because he sounded too much like Jesus. Dallas Willard said, Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship, for me, breaks down into two pieces, two parts. There's discipleship, the personal discipleship that we all should go through. But there's also discipleship to others. And we have to think about both of those areas of discipleship. God doesn't just want us getting all the teachings and sitting on the teachings. He wants us sharing with the world. He wants us discipling others. But let's start with personal discipleship. John, the 8th chapter, the 31st verse says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. How do we become disciples of the Lord? we got to continue in his word. We talked about the Bible being the blueprint for our lives. See, see, we can dig into that word and understand who our Savior is just by reading the word of God. We can build our relationship with him just by reading the word of God. Disciples continue in his word. You know, there's a lot of debate that happens through the Bible with what version, what translation, what this word means, what that word means. But I promise you, if you will simply submit yourself to the Lord and read, he will speak to you through those scriptures. It doesn't matter what your preferences are. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. 
We can trust the Word of God. It is inspired by God. Not some of the Scriptures, all of the Scriptures. So when you read a Scripture and it makes no sense to you, does that mean that that Scripture doesn't apply? Just because we don't understand it? No, we set it on the shelf. We ask the Lord. We continue to pray about it until He brings understanding. I want to encourage you to do one other thing. If you don't understand a Scripture, don't use it. Be honest with yourself. It's okay. It's okay. Teach what you know. Study with each other on the things you don't know. Pray. Ask the Lord. But I think too much confusion happens amongst brothers and sisters in Christ because we're trying to put forth an explanation that we think works or that we think makes sense, but we're not sure that's exactly what the Scriptures say. So have a conversation with a brother or sister, that's fine. Research it. Study it. When it comes to teaching others and discipling others, disciple what you know. That's why I continually uh, ask you guys to share your testimony. You know why you accepted Jesus. You know why you followed Jesus. And that's all you have to start with with anybody. Revelation tells us what? That they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. There's another part to that. So they did not love their lives even when faced with death. So the blood's been shed. Your testimony is your testimony. I can debate scriptures with you day and night. And I might even be able to convince you one or two of them are my way and the way I see it. But I can never change your testimony. No matter how much I try to tell you that didn't happen to you, you will never allow me to change that testimony. Because you experienced it. You had that encounter with the Savior. And that's what we want to introduce to the world. We want to introduce them to our Savior, to the Holy Spirit. But discipleship is a part of understanding the Scriptures and understanding who our Savior is. And then what begins to happen is, as you begin to know who Jesus is, and you see those Scriptures, they begin to fit into who He is. They begin to read according to His overall theme. What's Jesus' overall theme in the Bible? Isn't it love? Isn't it love? So you go read a set of rules, it's not just to chastise you or to put you in bondage or to say, na-na-na-boo-boo, you didn't do this, I'm going to punish you now. You begin to look at it through the eyes of Jesus where it's love. Lord, how can this set of rules be love? And you begin to pray and ask the Lord. That's being a disciple, right? you got to get trained. There was a time where the disciples themselves went out to the world and they set this world upside down, didn't they? But before they did that, they were getting trained themselves. Now, Jesus allowed them and taught them how to minister and how to do what he was doing, not by just having them in the classroom. He did some on-the-job training. So it's not just a matter of you getting discipled and then you go out to the world. There's on-the-job training, and you're not going to get it right every time. But that's why we look to the Lord. Let me move on. There is a cost. Disciples are willing to pay the price. Billy Graham said, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. Luke 9.23 says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily and follow me. Luke 14.33, so likewise, who, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let me say that again. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Nothing that you have 
can be above Jesus to be his disciple. So when I tell you disciples are willing to pay the price, the first part of that is to understand that there is a price to be paid. Billy Graham was right. Salvation is free. Technically. It's a free gift. But it's going to cost you your life. Old man must die. New man must live, must rise up. Disciples are willing to pay that price. The disciples that we read about in the Bible were willing to pay that price. They had moments of uncertainty. Peter went from being super bold, even telling Jesus he wasn't going to allow him to die. He didn't understand the plan. Then he went to scared and afraid, and he didn't want to get killed himself, so he denied Jesus, just like Jesus predicted. But then when the Holy Spirit came on the scene, and the boldness rose up in Peter, there wasn't anything you could threaten him with. He was willing to pay the price. When Paul met Jesus, he paid a price. And he wrote scriptures I told you last week. He said, momentary light afflictions. They're worth it for the eternal weight of glory. Momentary light afflictions. Paul knew the Savior. He was willing to pay the price. Disciples are willing to pay the price. John 15, verses 1 through 8. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Let me stop right there for a minute. Have you ever been through the pruning process? I'm not much of a gardener, but I understand pruning. Pruning is some cutting, isn't it? You you cut things. It's not comfortable. I didn't get to see this, but I heard about it, and I was I was uh, in Dad's house when this happened. But he had a little bush that wouldn't wouldn't grow anymore, wouldn't produce blooms, and he had heard that if you just whack the mess out of this bush, it would grow again. And Daddy wasn't real sure about it, so he did it, but he did it under the cover of night, just in case it didn't work. He didn't want anybody calling the cops or something because he's beating the trees, and he whacked the fool out of this bush. But you know what that bush ended up doing? It produced blooms again, didn't it? Sometimes we just need a good whacking. God's going to prune us. Why did I say that? Because guess what? It's being mistold that if you just accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that all your problems go away. That life is just nothing but smooth sailing. And it can be from the standpoint of the peace that passes all understanding. But if you become a Christian thinking you're never going to have another problem, you've misunderstood and somebody hasn't led you properly to the Savior. Yes, Jesus does take all of our problems away. What I mean by that is he shows us how to go through them. He shows us how to have that peace. But he has to do that through a pruning process. So you can be bearing fruit. You could have just led ten people to the Lord. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? Lead one person to the Lord. That's fantastic. Plant some seed. That's awesome. You can be a part of the process and guess what God's still going to do? He's still going to prune you. We have to know that as his disciples. We have to know that we're going to get pruned. Why? Because it will bear more fruit. There was a story in one of the uh, books I read from Oral Roberts. He talked about this farmer who had the best fruit in all the land, and people would come from miles and miles to get that fruit. 
And the short version is years later, he came by and the farmer had almost no fruit. And he asked him what the problem was, and he said, I didn't take care of the tree. So he was just so excited about the fruit, he never actually did anything to help the tree produce more fruit later on. See, that's not how God operates. He doesn't just use you up and he's done with you. He prunes you so that you can continue to bear fruit again and again and again and again. So while it may be uncomfortable to get pruned, it's for a better cause. It's for more fruit. It's for continuing to be part of what God's doing, to be a part of his kingdom. So don't think that being a disciple means that you won't have any problems. If I'll just do right, I won't have any hurts in my life. Verse 3 says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Let me put one more plug in here. If you didn't hear Dr. Bobby Shane bring the word about sin nature versus sinning, he was in, is it three weeks now? It is on podcast. Uh, this right here reminds me of that. It says, you're already clean. Too many of us are beating ourselves up trying to deal with the sin nature and constantly repenting for the sin nature. Uh, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that message. It will absolutely set you free on that. God's saying, look, you're clean. All you got to do is remain in me. And I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Notice in one of the verses before he said, take up your cross, what, daily? Why daily? God asks us to do things daily because it constantly puts a remembrance on him. As often as you take communion, do it in remembrance of me, right? The, the Lord's Prayer talks about give us our daily bread. We've talked about manna. In Egypt, God could have allowed that manna to last for as long as he wanted to. But he wanted the uh, children of Israel to put their trust and faith in him. So that manna was only good for one day. See, we need to get up every day. We could have had the most awesome, amazing day yesterday. Today's a new day. Where's our focus going to be? As disciples and passionate pursuers of God, we got to remain focused on him. We got to be, we got to remain in him and he'll remain in us. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this. You, you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Did you notice in those eight verses he kept repeating himself about being me, being me, being me, being me? I think he wants us to be in him. I think he wants us to understand him. How many of you have gone back through a particular chapter of the Bible or a book of the Bible and you read through it for the fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth time and you read something new in there? You ever had that experience? If you hadn't, go back to a book you've read before. If you hadn't read a book, read the book. Pick a book. John's a great one. Go back through it. You'll pick something up that you didn't know was there. So I've got to constantly be in the Word. We've got to constantly be in relationship with the Lord. Believe it or not, Tammy and I have been married 27 years. I don't remember the story exactly, but I remember looking at her going, I didn't know that. How after 27 years is there anything in that woman's life I don't know? We share everything. I mean, there are stories I can tell for her now. But it's amazing, the relationship, we keep having that relationship. We keep digging into each other. And some will pop up. We just didn't know about each other. It's like it is with Jesus. 
He's got so much to pour into us. If we just keep having a relationship with Him, and that's what He means by being a disciple. If we just continue to pour, uh, push, uh, pursue Him, again, the last verse there says, My Father is glorified by this, and that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples. So guess what disciples do? Disciples bear fruit. Amen. Amen. Galatians 5, 22 and the first part of 23 tell us the fruits of the Spirit. Their love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm going to do a discipleship check. Let's see if I can say that again. Want to do a discipleship check? Does your life bear these fruits? Now, we may have an off day. We may make a mistake. We may not be as patient today as we were yesterday. We may not love somebody today as much as we did yesterday. I'm not talking about just each and every day, but as a whole. As a whole. Does your life bear love? If somebody were to describe you, would they say, though, they're full of love? They got joy, peace? It, it doesn't, it doesn't exclude that. And Ralph, it doesn't count that you're married joy. You gotta have your own joy. That's cheating the system a little bit. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Could your neighbors say that about you? See, discipleship is not just personal, it's to others. Others should know these things about us. Somebody shouldn't be shocked that you know Jesus. Somebody should not be shocked that you know Jesus. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, and I'm almost finished. I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Disciples love one another. They love one another. So when we go out into the world and we, we fulfill the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. God didn't say just for you to become a disciple. You're supposed to disciple others. You ever thought about how hard it is for Jesus to walk with you sometimes? I mean, he makes it look easy. You ever seen a professional at their sport? A professional will make you feel like you can play that sport right then and there. I remember a story Daddy tells about one of our former elders, Neil Floyd. They went to a baseball game, Atlanta Braves professional baseball game. Tom Glavin, Hall of Fame pitcher, was pitching on the mound. And Neil Floyd told Daddy that day, he said, I can hit him. My daddy just chuckled and laughed. Neil said, no, I'm serious. I can, I can hit Tom Glavin. My dad leaned over and said, Neil, they pay guys millions of dollars every year to try to hit him and they can't do it. No offense to you, but the professionals make it look so easy you really feel like you can go do it. Guess what? Jesus is a professional above professionals. He makes it look so easy. But sometimes for us, we're beginners. We're learning how to disciple others. It's not quite so easy. But unless you go out there to disciple somebody, you'll never get better at it. So a disciple disciples others. That's what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tells us to do. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people 
who will be able to teach others also. We are supposed to be in relationship with the Father on a daily basis. And then we are supposed to try to help others be in relationship with the Father on a daily basis. It's not always convenient. It's not always easy. People can let you down. They can disappoint you. They can frustrate you. But if we'll learn from the master teacher, we can sit at the table knowing somebody's going to betray us and still break bread with them. Jesus sat down with the disciples at the Last Supper. And one of those in attendance was Judas, who was getting ready to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew it. And he still broke bread with him. That's, that's a master right there. There's some days I feel like I could do that. But I may be just kidding myself. But I hope to get there one day that I can know that I'm about to help you out. I'm about to bless you. And you're going to try to come against me. You're going to go outside and talk bad about me. Put me down. You can put my name on Facebook. Whatever the case may be. And I can know that's coming. And I can still love you. And I can still minister to you. Why? Because I know that's what my father did. Because I know that's what the master teacher did. It's not easy. But by being in relationship with him on a continual basis, that's where my speech pattern becomes like his. That's where my heart becomes like his. That's where my actions become like his. And then I begin to have compassion. And I begin to have love for these, for everybody in this world, for this world, no matter what. Let me read you one more scripture and I'll bring this to a close. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is an authorized representative or messenger. We are authorized representatives or messengers. You know what else ambassadors do? They take that message and they know it's of great importance. We need to take the message God's given to us, treat it with great importance and share it with everybody. Let me just recap. Let me get you to stand to your feet. You've been sitting for a little bit, smelling that turkey. I know you're getting hungry. I meant to tell you at the beginning of this, I felt like this was more of a teaching than a preaching, but it's something I needed to, to lay out for you guys because that's what we do here at Southside Christian Fellowship. As we become passionate pursuers of God, we're, we're, we're becoming, uh, prayer, uh, prayer, on the term, I didn't prepare that one. Prayer is an important focus for us here. <laughs> but it's an area of focus for us in becoming passionate preservers of God. Missions, that's our mission field. We are becoming passionate pursuers of God by reaching out to our mission field, not just with the Word of God, but meeting physical needs as well. And as we minister to people, they're going to be broken and hurt, and we're going to deliver inner healing to them. On the surface through salvation, on a much deeper level, we're going to plug in to people that we have on uh, staff and people here at the church that can lead them through lengthier prayer sessions so that God, the Holy Spirit, can heal the wounds. And then finally, we're becoming passionate pursuers through discipleship. First in our lives, we're becoming better disciples of the Lord. 
And then we're going out and teaching others how to be better disciples. So let me just recap for you today what a disciple is. Because remember, disciples, disciples are passionate pursuers of God. A disciple develops a relationship with the master teacher, Jesus. Disciples are willing to pay the cost to follow. Disciples bear fruit. Disciples love one another. Could you put your name in there? Herman develops a relationship with the master teacher, Jesus. Herman is willing to pay the cost to follow. Herman bears fruit. Herman loves others. If you can't do that, are you a disciple? If you can do that, then I can say Herman is a disciple. And a disciple is a passionate pursuer of God, so Herman is a passionate pursuer of God. Now, I want to encourage you as I, as I finish here, if you're struggling in an area, it's just like school. When you got a test grade, if you had an F, it didn't mean you were a, a bad person. It meant you didn't understand that area we were studying. So maybe you, you're not doing well with one of these. That's okay. That's part of discipleship. Are you willing to let the Lord do this in you and through you? Say, disciples are willing. So I want to encourage you today. If you've stepped away from being a disciple, if it got too hard, if you got too busy, whatever the case may be, just refocus. Get focused back on Jesus, the master teacher. Get, get back in love with him because he's not falling out of love with you. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, and He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.